The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to the Video Insiders. Dror and I are so happy to have you here. Dror, we celebrated a huge milestone this week. Why don't you tell the listeners? Yes, we celebrated three years to the Video Insiders. That's one milestone. That's one milestone, right? There's another one? We released the 70th episode, and uh, that's a major milestone. And the third one, we reached 2,500 members of the Video Insiders LinkedIn group, which is also very impressive. It is. It is. Yeah. And by the way, if you are not in the LinkedIn group, just uh, go to LinkedIn, just search for the Video Insiders. Uh, it, it, you'll see it. It'll pop right up. Just request to join. We will accept you and uh, you'll be in the group. It's a, it's a great community. Uh, everything from uh, industry news, uh, significant, you know, announcements. Uh, there's a lot of job postings there. Job posts. That's right. That alone is worth the price. That alone <laughs> might be worth the price of admission. But uh, anyway, welcome to this episode. And we have an amazing uh, guest with us today, as we always do. But this is really going to be a interesting conversation. We don't talk a lot about delivery. And so today we are talking with Xavier LeClaire from Broadpeak. Xavier, welcome to the Video Insiders. Hi, Draw. Hi, Mark. Good to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Why don't you give us a really quick uh, overview of who you are uh, personally, but uh, tell us about Broadpeak, what you built and what you guys do. Sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Xavier. I was um, born in France, living in the UK. Um, I've um, worked for a variety of um, uh, companies over the years, always trying to balance between the technical and the business um, aspects. I originally trained as a, an engineer, telecom engineer specialized in, in networks. And I've been uh, basically um, working for companies like Vodafone, building one of the first triple play networks in the UK. Um, work for the likes of Sea uh, Change for a few years. Very viewed. I was acquired by Akamai. Um, and always in functions that were combining the technology and, and the business, right? Things like pre-sales or system engineering. And basically, my background is all about IP, uh, video, and, and you know networks. So I worked for Alcatel Lucent. I became Nokia, where I headed up um, global pre-sales, ran business development for a while there too, and finally Broadpeak. So I joined, um, I think, it was about two and a half years ago. And the idea with Broadpeak is very much to drive uh, the business development strategy, looking at mid and long-term uh, relationships with key partners and key customers. So that's where I'm at today. Great. You are definitely a video insider. Being in all these companies and doing video and IP for all of your professional career. So uh, tell us a bit about uh, Broadpeak. What are you focused on these days? Sure. So Broadpeak is a French company based out of Brittany in the western part of France. Um, we are about 250 people and we provide technology, right? So we basically work with the telcos and, you know, the cable companies, ISPs of this world. And we've been selling technology to them for the last um, 11 years. And we provide them the technology to build their video delivery platforms. So to build their own CDN and to build their um, cloud DVR, for example, to do live or time shift 
distributed viewing, um, to build their analytics platform, their CDN selection as well. And uh, yeah, we're basically a, you know, a company that innovates a lot and we are well known for multicast ABR technology. This is something we pioneered a few years ago and, and maybe you guys have heard about it, multicast ABR. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely heard about it. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a great technology. And an operator here in Israel told me they're saving a lot of money by using multicast ABR, um, delivering video content on their own network to users. So Xavier, you're supplying the technology stack, uh, the software for these operators, for your customers to, to run their own networks. Is this an alternative to sort of the uh, DIY approach or um, are these custom projects? You know, are you sort of like an integrator? Explain more about how you work. We sell a, a suite of products today, right? So that's the traditional approach where we sell to uh, operators, the likes of, um, you know, Deutsche Telekom, the likes of Vodafone, the likes of Orange, who are basically offering their video services to their customers. So um, the range of products are, you know, all software based. Obviously, back in the days, uh, we would be selling uh, hardware, maybe even appliances linked to that. Now it's a pure software proposition. And, uh, and the idea is very much to deploy this software where it makes sense for uh, the operators. So some bits of software make sense to be deployed um, you know, in a public cloud. So if you do CDN selection, for example, you don't have to be close to your end user to, um, to do CDN selection. That's something that can easily be um, outside of the network. But if you do video delivery, uh, we always recommend to be as close as possible to the end user, right? Because in, in video, we very much believe that uh, proximity means quality and the closest you are to your end user, the better the quality will be. So if you build a CDN, for example, um, CDN, you know, at a high level is a, a control plane that will control uh, how the CDN works, where you do your configuration, when you do maybe some of your analytics, you have security, um, your UI, your interfaces are all in the control plane that's typically centralized in the network. And then you have a distributed function. So all your CDN caches, you want to put them as close as you can to your end users, right? So for us, our role is very much to bring this technology and then work with our customers to be able to build those networks, those networks that are gonna be able to deliver high quality streams to a variety of devices. And the analogy with um, video is very much uh, when you buy something off the internet, right? If you buy something um, from a, a vendor in China, for example, um, your experience may or may not be as good as if you buy it locally. Obviously, if you ship a parcel all the way from China to um, the US, for example, it may arrive a little later than if you were to buy the same item locally. Uh, you may run into some problems, maybe, I don't know, paying additional custom charges um, on your, you know, or import charges maybe on the parcel. So, video is kind of similar, right? If you want good quality of video, it's always better to serve it locally. Uh, if you have a cache that's very close to where you are, we guarantee that you're going to have a better experience because you're less likely to run into problems, basically. You're less likely to have congestion problems. You're less likely to have, you know, bottlenecks in the network. And um, at the end, this basically translates directly into a, a better experience with, you know, fewer chances of rebuffering, um, better resolution being delivered. And, uh, and generally speaking, also uh, lower latency, right? When you have really good quality networks, you will have those, you know, much, you know, much more engaging experiences. Right. And, and this is actually an advantage that the traditional networks have over uh, the newcomers, you know, uh, companies that do TV services 
over the internet, like Sling TV, YouTube TV, Fubo TV, uh, if you take a traditional MSO or telco or satellite provider, they own the network and that network reaches the user. They own all of the infrastructure until the user so they can get as close to the user as possible uh, with their own content and with their own services. On the other hand, the networks they are using are kind of outdated. They're based on cable and satellite technology, transport streams. It's not easy for them to provide those modern services of content on demand and skipping forward and backward, you know, and, and the infinite cloud DVR and things like that. And those are the advantages of, of the newcomers that are doing um, all of the services uh, over the open internet. So in this tension between these two types of, uh, of TV providers, who do you think today has the upper hand? That's an interesting question, right? When we, when we look at it and when we talk to customers, obviously, um, we always think about the future, right? And the future is 100% ABR, right? This is where we're going. We think going forward, all the video will be streamed at some point. So you talked about some of the legacy formats, um, you know, MPEG transport stream, for example, in cable networks or satellite. We're very much now at a point where we can replace this legacy technology with full um, ABR content, right? So we have some tools that can be used to deliver uh, at scale and reusing some of those, you know, broadcast or multicast technologies in the network to deliver streaming experiences uh, at scale. So I think the first thing here is everything will move to ABR. I think that's the, you know, the, the first point. The second one will be around the momentum, right? So you're 100% right to say that today the, the OTTs of this world, the Netflix, the Amazon Prime, the Dazon, the, uh, you know, HBO maybe as well, HBO Max, they are challenging the the existing, right? They're challenging the cable companies, and we've seen, um, you know, a lot of the MSOs, a lot of the pay TV providers, generally speaking, losing customers that are moving away and going to the OTT platform. So clearly, there is a, a momentum here, and an OTT, this over-the-top delivery, so delivering the content without a managed network, without quality guaranteed by the network, is growing. But I think we're still at the beginning of the journey, right? And I think going forward, the networks have to evolve to be able to, to handle this, this new load of, of traffic, right? Because today, the OTTs, I think we're about, um, if you look at the figures, there was an interesting uh, research recently published by Nielsen, you know, the, um, the company that looks at audiences and, you know, makes graphs and prediction. Um, they came out recently with uh, an analysis that said that people are now spending more time streaming than watching broadcast television, right? So we're very much now at the, you know, the crossroad, right? At this point where it's becoming, you know, more prevalent to stream than to do uh, the legacy uh, distribution. But when we stream, it can also be streamed through the ISP network, right? So we still have a large number of ISPs and even cable companies that are now basically delivering streaming services. If you look at, um, you know, Liberty Global, for example, the latest uh, set-top box, I think they call it the mini box, if I remember correctly. Um, it, it's interesting because it's, it's like a Roku. It's basically just a pure IP set-top box. There are no uh, tuners inside for the cable networks. So all your video, all the video you're going to play on this box is uh, over IP. You're not using any of the legacy, um, you know, uh, QAM delivery to get to this box and the DVB-C tuner, for example, to get the video. Uh, and that means that 
you know, those companies who have video at their heart, right? And I'm thinking, you know, some of the, some of the MSO, some of, you know, even some of our telcos who have been doing video for, for 10, 15 years now. Um, I think video is very much at the heart of their uh, strategies. If you look, um, I don't know, maybe someone like Telefonica, they deliver a lot of video content, but they also make a lot of video content, right? So video remains very important for them. And I think, you know, streaming is definitely going to take over the legacy streaming formats, but I think we still need the ISPs and the networks, A, to deliver their services, but then I think also going forward to help scale some of the OTT providers. I think it's going to be more of a collaboration than a competition there. So when you're working with your network customers, just for example, you know, let's say that primarily they're in the business of providing voice and, and data services, you know, um, so in other words, like a, a traditional mobile carrier, how much of that uh, company's desire to build a video platform is just, well, hey, these people are paying someone else for a subscription, they might as well pay us and we can, you know, increase our, our poos and, and all of those sorts of things. In other words, expansion revenue. How much is driven by that versus maybe driven by concerns that some of these other large uh, video services or other platforms or other operators could encroach over time? And, you know, like, for example, you have I'm just thinking of Comcast in the U.S. that is licensed um, wireless spectrum. And, you know, and I, I think it'd be very interesting to know, uh, you know, what the strategies are behind, behind some of your customers as they're entering, uh, into the video services or as they're rebuilding on more of an OTT infrastructure, uh, you know, what they're thinking, what they're trying to do. You know, you're putting your finger on something very interesting here, right? Why have we seen telcos and, you know, and, and other networks doing video for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years now? Um, the simple reason is stickiness, right? We know that, uh, you know, if you have a subscriber taking your video package, um, they're more likely to remain a customer than if they are a broadband only customer you know once you have a video package people get used to it people you know with iptv or cable people were used to the to the set top box the menu on screen the buttons on the remote um the recordings on the hard drive that was a big you know a point of stickiness you know i don't want to leave my operator because i have all those recordings on my hard drive right and they take away the set top box and your recordings are gone yeah yes sir and that is an interesting point. You know, customers have told us that, um, you know, the set-top box breaking, so back in the days when you had a hard drive inside a set-top box, uh, this was a point of churn, you know, because the customer would lose the recording, they lose ties with the operator, and this is the point when they may decide to go and get, you know, their broadband and video package from somewhere else. So, um, so yeah, you know, the stickiness, I think, remains there. And this has been the case for 15 years. I mean, you know, IPTV is not new. And um, that's why I think we, we, we started on this trend of operators trying to compete basically not just on, on price, because otherwise it's, um, you know, it's a race to the bottom, right? I'm going to give you more bandwidth for less money. And it's very difficult to differentiate. I think operators have been um, very smart in offering new services, saying, look, with me, I'll give you, you know, some VOD for free. I'll give you... I don't know, 4K, that's better than my competitor. I mean, over the years, the differentiation has been done on services and video has been a very good tool for that. So um, so I think that's the first reason. The second, you know, probably um, 
maybe not reason, but maybe driver in this in this market is you know the content rights have increased massively over the last few years. Right, it's very expensive today for an operator, take any operator doing TV today, to secure premium rights um, for sports, for example, right, or, or even you know generally speaking content. We see content, you know, was king a long time ago, it is still king today. Uh, and, and it's becoming an interesting battle, right? Disney putting out their content from um, obviously Netflix when they wanted to start their Disney Plus service, and then putting out the linear channels. So you may have seen that in the press over the last um, month, I mean, even years, you know, generally putting out all of their um, content proposition from uh, some of the linear packages. Um, that has become, I think, uh, the goal. That's what you need to deliver the, the, the video service. So net result is what is content is becoming more expensive and and as an operator monetizing premium content uh, that's still a challenge right i mean you know if you imagine that the, the the strength of the operator is to build a service to pull in place the network to to retail this network to look after the customers it's not necessary to maximize revenues um based on you know content that, that they will license you know buying you know the rights for this new hollywood movie or whatnot so i think we're entering a new phase now where basically operators realize that they may not be the best placed entity i would say to monetize the, um, the video. Um, this is where the OTTs are very well placed, right? The Disney Plus service, the, you know, Amazon Prime Video for sports or, or Dazzle. They, they know how to sell and how to market, you know, the, the, their content better than the operators. But I think they need each other's, right? Because if you look at um, where we are today, if you want to give the best, um, the best result, the best experience, for me, it has to come, you know, from the best networks combined with the best content, right? So you need your service providers, your network operators to have the capacity to deliver this the, the videos from within the network. That's how you get the great quality. So they need the tools built inside the network to deliver the best experience. And then the content providers, the OTT of this world, if you look at it today, they're the most apt to acquire the rights because they are in this growth phase, right? They're ready to spend money to attract new customers. So, so for me, this is how you're going to get the best results, right? Combining the best network with the best content. That's interesting, both from a commercial point of view and a technical point of view. These two entities have to collaborate, as you said, to provide the best experience and the best quality to the end users. But the question is, how is this enabled uh, financially? Who pays who and how much? And how is it enabled uh, technically? The interesting thing is both of um, the technical and the commercial are intertwined here, right? If Maybe we take a traditional approach and then we look at a collaboration. The traditional approach, how does that work? I have content, I need to um, deliver it to a, you know, a variety of um, consumers. I'm doing a direct-to-consumer proposition, an OTT proposition. Um, how am I going to deliver this content? I'm going to work with the global CDNs, right? So I'm going to go to Akamai, Lamlight, Lumen, um, some of the leading CDNs and uh, give them my content for delivery. And I'm going to pay on a uh, consumption base based on how many gigabyte or terabyte um, have been delivered at the end of the month. I'm going to pay those global CDNs, right? That's the, you know, the basic proposition. And what we've seen, you know, and, and that's, that's striking if you, look, if you look back sort of uh, 10 years ago, what Netflix did, what we've seen is when you become a very large content provider, when you're very serious about your OTT proposition, what the global CDNs are offering today, right? It's not enough. So basically you build your own CDN. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't get the footprint I want. I don't, you know, they don't have caches where I want, or maybe they don't have the peering capacity with the networks that I'm targeting, or maybe the price is just too high, right? Because it's always volume based. So if I move from HD to 4K, uh, my bill is also going to be moving to 4K, right? It's uh, it's going to be a, a lot higher. So so yeah, you build your own. And, and I think the Netflix approach, right? They started Open Connect, uh, what, 10 years ago, I think it was. It's very simple, right? The idea is to take, um, you know, some appliances, some caches and deploy them inside the ISP network. And this way I can avoid a potential congestion inside, um, you know, the peering points where all the ISPs are interconnected to each other. And once I'm inside the ISP network, you know, I'm again closer to the end user, so more likely to deliver a good service. So Netflix has done it. Um, we estimate that Netflix has about 15 to 20,000 caches deployed globally inside the uh, inside the ISP networks and that's um, that's great right that's you know one big milestone and I think that's the the king of streaming you know I like this this title the crown of king of streaming today everybody knows the Netflix experience right it works really well and and when you use Netflix you, you know you don't think about how it's being delivered you know very rarely you're going to see rebuffering the platform works very well it's uh, always being improved as well so so for us you know Netflix is a you know a standard we like to um, to replicate when we work with customers right so one thing for us when it comes to um, working with the telcos and, and and the networks is saying look Netflix has has done it they can deliver you know video from within your network this is a proposition that is valuable to the OTT providers right so going back to my OTT provider that may be working with Akamai Lumen and and Amlai today um, some of the things we've done with providers like HBO is actually creating for them uh, the equivalent of a Netflix appliance, right? So the Netflix Open Connect appliance, we've done the same thing for HBO in a couple of Mexican networks. We deployed HBO boxes, so physical servers uh, with an HBO logo on it, you know, the brand was there. Um, but we deployed those servers uh, inside some, some of the ISP networks. And the technology itself is quite simple. It's a set of caches that, you know, you will use depending on where you come from. So if you are from this ISP, we will direct you to this cache. If we don't have capacity, we'll send you to uh, one of the global CDN. That works fine as well. And that's, you know, I would say that the simple part, the more complex part is the business, right? How, you know, who pays who in this model? You know, is this for HBO, for example, to pay the, the Mexican operators because they don't have to pay Akamai or Lamlight for their video delivery anymore? Or is it actually for the operators to pay um, the OTT providers because it's easier for them to deliver the content, it's less stress on the networks? So we get into some really interesting conversations. I mean, obviously, um, none of the ISPs want to see, you know, hundreds of servers deployed in their network from various um, content providers. So this is not going to work, right? We had a, a customer recently in Europe that was talking about 200 racks of third-party CDN extensions inside his network. It's just ridiculous. Wow. 200, you said racks or servers? Racks, racks. Total capacity was 30 terabits per second. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> and that's all just for third-party. Exactly, yeah. So that's your Netflix, that's your Google Global Cache, that's, you know, your HBO caches. I mean, all, all of this, that's an enormous amount of servers sitting in your network, um, consuming power. And You know, I can remember early on, 
uh, Netflix decision to sort of forego the traditional CDNs, uh, you know, even though of course they do use CDNs, they're reliant on CDNs, you know, different parts of the world, et cetera. But the open, uh, connect program, it kind of rankled some people and especially the CDNs are like, Hey, wait a second, we should be getting paid for this, you know, yet it makes a lot of sense for Netflix, of course, it does make sense for the operator, but at the same time, you know, like you say, there's costs involved, you know, somebody has to get paid somehow. Are you in the middle of some of those discussions? Like, are you kind of the, uh, is Switzerland in the middle between the, <laughs> you know, and you're sort of, you're sort of there, uh, you know, both as a technology provider, I think it'd be really interesting if you're able to give some visibility and you can be as nondescript as possible to protect the innocent, you know, <laughs> but, um, can you give some visibility as to what those discussions are like and how, you know, how the decisions are made? You know, I would say um, the good decisions um, are the ones that benefit everyone, right? So if we go back to the HBO case, uh, this is at a time where some of the, the Mexican ISPs as well were discussing with HBO to get access to their premium content, right? So then that opens the door to a, a broader collaboration saying, look, I'm going to give you my content at the agreed price. But if you take my caches, which are helping me because I don't have to pay the global CDNs anymore, um, I might give you maybe, um, you know, access to, I don't know, maybe a, a start over window, right? So with my live content, you will be able to do a little bit more than you do normally, right? And I think those are very good conversations that enables a broader collaboration between you know, the ISP and, and, and the OTT providers. Sure, I give you space in my data center, but I'm going to get something for my users. Yeah, exactly, right. And this this works. I think this is this is a good model. Um, I think generally speaking, when you look at um, you know the market today, when you talk to the ISPs, um, you see that um, if you build a, a modern network today, you will have to have some of those third-party CDN extensions in your network, right? You will have to have Google Global Caches in your network, otherwise your, your users will have a, a poor experience with YouTube. Um, you will have to have a Netflix uh, Open Connect in your network, otherwise you will have a, a bad ranking, you know, in the ISP index that uh, Netflix is still doing. The, the shaming table. <laughs> the shaming table, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and when they came up with that, I remember when they came up with that some, some time ago, they literally turned the tables on, on the ISPs, right? Because back in the day, back in the days, the ISP would just say, oh, you know, it's, um, it's not my network. It's clearly your, you know, the service you're trying to access. That's not dimension. And by publishing this data very quickly, Netflix said, uh-uh, you know, look at this, this result. If you're having a bad experience with this network, you should probably switch to the next one, right? Because these this guys have a better connectivity to me, right? What Netflix has done here is proving that, you know, you can build your own CDN and you can have a very good quality of experience. And others attempted to do the same. But, you know, if you want to deploy, you know, 15, 20,000 servers globally, that is quite quite a challenge, right? It took, it took Netflix 10 years, right? So if you look at the next waves, you know, the Disney Plus, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we in conversation with Disney, we talk to them on a regular basis. I think they would love to build their own caches and deploy it inside the ISP network. Again, have a similar model to, to Netflix being in charge of their own sort of destiny when it comes to uh, delivering the content. But what they have also recognized is that there is a lot of capacity that is already deployed within the ISP networks. 
right? So if you look at, um, you know, most of the telcos, they have built a CDN for their own content. Sometimes we've brought big technologies, sometimes we've, you know, third party um, technologies. And um, there's a lot of capacity that is uh, available inside those networks, right? A lot of private CDN capacity that today is very much locked inside the um, in the ISP network. So if I build, I don't know, a Telefonica CDN, today Telefonica is only using it for the Telefonica content. And what Disney has been driving this industry for for the last probably two years now, maybe a little bit more, is pushing this industry towards this idea of collaboration. So if you open your CDN to me and if your CDN is of good quality, I'm willing to um, pay you to basically subsidize you for, you know, for using your infrastructure. And I think that's opening a new, again, a new angle of collaboration. It's not just, you know, aggregating on the UI, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, having a, a set-top box and putting it onto a UI. It's very much aggregation at the network level, right? So the CDN that I've built and dimensioned for, I don't know, 10 million subscribers, let's say I can deliver 2 million streams, for example, with that CDN. Those 2 million streams, they can be my content or they can be the Disney content. They can be the Netflix content. Why not tomorrow? And that's a very exciting angle. There's a lot of conversations around this open caching and how to do it, the APIs. Again, today we're more at the, the technical level, how to do it, how to make it easy so that when Disney goes to Orange or Deutsche Telekom or Telefonica, they find the same API. We want to make it easy. So we have all the industry, all the vendors working together. But, um, you know, there are going to be interesting questions on, you know, the billing, you know, who pays who, how does that work? You know, there are going to be a, some interesting uh, conversation to have. Yeah, for sure. Do you see then that this is the the new normal, <laughs> you know, that uh, for these very large, especially these distribution services that are working uh, across regions, so different parts of the world, et cetera, that they are going to increasingly want to take control, leverage, like you say, either existing assets that are already deployed in these other networks, either that the telco has just built and makes available, you know, or some licensing deal, or they deploy their own boxes. Is this really the new, like everybody wants to do this or, you know, is it still sort of an outlier? It's for the Disney, the Netflixes of the world. And then everybody else is, you know, just turning to third party commercial CDNs and, you know. I think there are different ways to look at it, right? Um, the first one might be to look at uh, maybe the efficiency, right? So if you take a CDN deployed by an ISP today, uh, or if you can leverage you know, network assets like multicast within an ISP network, this is always going to be the most efficient approach. This is where you're going to have the best quality of experience. This is where you're likely to also have um, the best efficiency when it comes to um, dollars invested or, or, or power, right? Even looking at, you know, power consumption, if you have one CDN close to where your users are um, able to deliver multiple versions of the content, this is going to be more efficient than having, you know, multiple CDNs, some in the network, some outside the network, some going through congested peering points and whatnot, you know, and that's always going to be more efficient. So going forward, when, you know, we hear a lot about uh, the, the, the streaming being, you you know, potentially not very green, right? Being, you know, not as efficient as, you know, broadcast used to be, especially for, for live, right? Um, that's something that starts to be, you know, a consideration, right? How can I 
I make my streaming platform as green as possible? How can I be as efficient as possible? So I think that's the first angle. The, the second one is you're right today. Why do you see the likes of Netflix being able to uh, build their own platform? Because they invest an enormous amount of money in the technology, right? They, inv they invest more than a billion dollars every year in their technology. Um, Disney is pretty much the same. I mean, the number is not public, but we know they bought um, BAM Tech a few years ago. The transaction was, I think, $1.4 billion. So you need a lot of technology to, uh, to deliver OTT services at scale today, right? And, and you're right, those guys, because they're driving the, the standardization, because they're pushing the industry in this direction, they're going to be the first one to basically benefit from it, right? But the way I look at it is, it's also going to work at the other end of the spectrum, right? We deal with a lot of customers in Europe, the scale of a country like Belgium, for example. And if you take a country like Belgium, you probably have three, four, you know, ISPs to, that you need to cover about 80%, 85% of the population, right? And um, this becomes a very simple problem. If you are a public broadcaster in Belgium um, and you want to deliver content, all you have to do is work with those, you know, three, four companies and you will cover your audience, right? And, and what we see is today, it is still complex for a broadcaster to work with the telco simply because there is not enough maturity in those standardization, in, in you know the tools available. So 99% of the public broadcasters today in Europe are likely to work with the global CDNs simply because it's easier to have a middleman in the middle that's going to deliver the content across across the networks. But I think the real benefits of this standardization, and, and you're asking, you know, where are we going with this? Um, I think it's also to benefit the little guys today, right? So the, the broadcasters who are not Netflix or, or Disney, if we can give them simple tools that, you know, in a few clicks, they can configure, you know, CDN capacity across, you know, three, four ISP networks, and they cover, you know, 85% of their audience like that, then I think that they're going to be making a big step forward, right? In terms of, again, efficiency, cost, quality, um, they may still rely on the global CDNs for maybe delivery to, uh, you know, some networks that maybe don't have the scale, some networks who maybe don't want to play in this, um, you know, in this collaboration mode. That's, that's absolutely fine. It might still be a little bit fragmented, but I think the little guys going forward will greatly benefit from, you know, initiatives like open caching. So can you give us kind of an overview of, of the technology of this uh, standard, of the standardization efforts that enable this uh, transition. What are the content providers able to do with those open caching APIs? How are they built and how do they use them to, to secure the capacity that they need? So CDN is uh, relatively straightforward, right? I mean, what you need to do is um, have a, a visibility of uh, the footprint. So knowing where your, your caches are going to be, saying I have, uh, you know, caches in California. Therefore, if I have customers in California, I can serve them well. Um, those caches are not well positioned to serve customers, I don't know, in Texas, for example. So you need to have this knowledge of footprint. You need to have a configuration, right? So there's a configuration API where you are going to configure your CDN services. So cdn.netflix.com will be your, I don't know, your host name. And this will be um, fetching content from your origin server where you store all of your content. So there's a configuration API that you need with this footprint API. Something very important for CDNs, right, is the analytics. So being able to gather analytics, see what's happening in real time in the platform. 
to be able to react to any problems, right? We've all seen this over the years, global CDN, sometimes they have a bad day and you need to be able to switch traffic away from a, you know, a, a poor CDN so that you don't impact the quality of experience of your customers. So same thing in open caching, this sort of real-time analytics is important, being able to gather logs in real time, seeing, you know, how quickly content is being downloaded, see if you have any issues in the network, you know, anything happening that could hinder the experience. So, um, so this, um, you know, real-time API is important. You know, if you think about it, it's a bit like when you go onto, uh, you know, your CloudFront um, CDN, if you use, uh, you know, CDN services from AWS, it's a very simple UI in which you will configure your services, you will get your logs, they will tell you their point of presence. It's exactly the same, but you do it on the, uh, the, the telco uh, CDNs, right? So you will be able to find the same API across all, you know, the markets, across, you know, the various operators. And that's a lot simpler than having to use, you know, proprietary API, because before open caching what you had is those APIs were available so we've been doing this for a long time but they were all different so if you get a broad peak CDN well guess what you would have to integrate with our APIs now the idea is to say look the next time you come across a broad peak CDN you will configure it like any other CDN using open caching so it's very much making it easy for any content provider to use um, this CDN capacity yeah that's that's very powerful it's a big change in the industry because we tried, I mean, you know, maybe a little story. We tried um, a wholesale CDN many years ago, right? There was um, this uh, movement in Europe. I think it was called the Open Carrier Alliance um, or Exchange, Open Carrier Exchange. I think it was OCX. The idea was for all the tier one operators of Europe, so the, the British Telecom, Orange, Telefonica, Telecom Italia, Telia, I think was also one of them, Tocha Telecom, to get together and say, look, we don't need the global CDNs here in Europe. You know, we have the networks, we have the pipes, we're going to build our own federated CDN to deliver, you know, video services in Europe. Yeah, we're going to connect to each other. Exactly, you know, exactly. So superb idea on paper. Um, the realization was wasn't so good, right? You, you may have never heard of uh, of OCX, right? That's how how far they went. But the idea was good, right? I think what was lacking at the time is they were solving a, a technical problem that wasn't yet a problem basically you know they didn't have content providers that were trying to go ott and they're trying to move um basically vast amount of content across the network so this alliance went nowhere and we saw basically in europe just like in north america and other parts of the world a big rise of the global cdns so yeah it's not the first time i think this time is different because we have a big driver behind the likes of disney we start to see more content providers being interested some you know some of the smaller guys some of the you know some of the big guys as well have you know declared interest in open caching and, and i think there is momentum so hopefully this time will will work better than the previous time and uh, can you estimate uh, what percentage of the market is is now using open caching or it's only the early days of this technology so I, I think it's still early days. Right? When we look at it, um, they're probably globally, if I was to give an estimation, I would say maybe less than 10 terabits per second you know, of total capacity, which is very small on a, on a global basis. So some ISPs are, are starting to, to use it. I think there is also a set of um, changes that will trickle through the industry, right? I think today, if you deliver video uh, through a global CDN, you get a bill based on volume that you consume. So that's great if you're doing a you know a video on demand service SVOD service you know it's it's very much um, based on how much people are using, um, but it doesn't work very well for live right because for live you may have a very big 
peak of traffic, you know, very high demand, and, and the volume doesn't necessarily mean much, right? If your peak is only for 10 minutes, your volume will be low, but you still have, you know, you still have to have a lot of capacity in place to be able to deliver this peak. So um, you say, where are we in the industry? I think we're still at the beginning there. I think some other changes that will have to happen. I think at some point we're going to see basically um, OTT providers buying more capacity than, than volume, right? So that's going to be, I think, an interesting change. And if you think about it, capacity fits well with the telcos because that's how they think, right? They have to build the network. So it's all about the capacity planning, you know, is my link big enough for this or that? And the volume in telco world doesn't, doesn't mean a lot, right? It could be a very small peak. It could be an average, right? So the volume of traffic doesn't mean much. So I think going forward, the telcos are well placed to basically offer some of this capacity back to the, the OTT providers. And I think the big change that is starting now is not on VOD, but on live. I think we're going to see a lot of live content moving to OTT, right? So this is something that started to happen with Amazon Prime. If you want to, if you want to watch the, the football, uh, League One in France, you know, is now uh, on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch the football with, um, you know, uh, the Serie A in Italy, the top football in Italy, that's also being streamed now with Dazen. And I think this is when, you know, the industry will start to... Uh, think a little bit more about the capacity how do i deliver high peaks of traffic over ip without my traditional broadcast mechanisms in place right how do i make this as efficient as possible and you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our talk uh, multicast abr so i assume this can be part of the solution for delivering live over the internet in, in masses 100 yeah so multicast abr is this idea of combining um basically the, the scalability of multicast so that's when your network basically replicates your content based on multicast going into different destinations with abr so with streaming so the idea of the versatility if you like of um of streaming combined with the scalability of multicast. So we've been selling this technology for a number of years now. Uh, we have, you know, some very interesting um, customers. Um, I'll give you an example, the likes of uh, Mega Cable in Mexico, where they basically transform their cable network to um, remove all the legacy transport stream delivery and replace everything with ABR. And to scale this, they rely on multicast ABR. Right, so they introduced a pure IP set-top box and it's all multicast um, based for life. So, so this works well for your own content. If you are an operator looking to modernize your, your video delivery platform, great, you know, we've seen a number of customers coming to us. They have a new, I don't know, fiber network. They don't want to deploy the legacy IPTV platform on it. Fine, let's put an ABR solution and let's use multicast ABR to scale it, to give this better experience. So that's when you're delivering your own content on your own network. Very much, very much. And what we're seeing now, and that's the new thing, you know, with us this year uh, with Broadpeak is we have now opened a multicast ABR to third party content provider, right? And this is a big milestone for us because similar to open caching, when you can open your unicast CDN based capacity to, to the Disney's and to the other content providers here, you can basically open your multicast capability to OTT players. And that's a big change in the industry, right? We're doing it today with um, with Telecom Italia and they'll deliver the, the Dazon content uh, on, to their subscribers on, um, I think it's a Team Vision um, proposition. So it's an Android set-top box. So if you consume the Dazon content on uh, Telecom Italia's network, it is actually using multicast, right? And that is that is a big advantage, right? Because once you have multicast, that's, uh, you know, the power to scale your network and to, um, to do a much higher quality delivery than you would do with, with Unicast. So, um, 
So yeah, there are, I think, new um, opportunities here. But is there a standard for that already, like uh, open caching? Is there something similar for multicast ABR? No, 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 not yet. I think this is where open caching will go next, right? Probably the next 18 months. But uh, today it's, it's done basically with direct relationships between the NTT provider and the network operator. It's interesting. And so do you find then that the networks that you're supplying this technology to, you're providing this multicast technology to, that everything is kind of a one-off from the sense of needing to turn, you know, different knobs and dials and do different integrations to make it work? Like, I guess the question I'm really asking is how much is off the shelf that you're able to bring and say, here it is, you know, deploy it. And then how much is off the shelf with your professional services, you know, working with their engineers and kind of custom building it? Like I said, we had the beginning of the possibilities of multicast API. Because it's been talked about for a while, you know, in fact, more than 10 years ago, uh, I can remember being at, I don't know if it's Cable Tech Expo or I don't remember exactly. And Cisco was giving presentations and I can literally remember the room and where I was sitting and the room was packed. There were so many people in there and it was everybody from the biggest cable operators in there, Comcast, everybody was, everybody wanted to hear, you know, and the, you just listen and you go, wow, this, this is great. This makes sense. It makes sense. Why do you need to deliver millions of identical copies at the same time to millions of users? Exactly. You can deliver one copy to everybody like in, in it, broadcast. Exactly. And yet you know, that's how everybody's doing it today. It's, it's unicast, <laughs> unicast stream. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So unicast, I think, you know, today people think that unicast is easier. Um, what I usually tell them is yeah, unicast ABR works really well until you have a, I don't know, final of the champions league and everybody wants to watch uh, the football and then your experience collapse. Right. So like you said, multicast is a really good way to handle big peaks of traffic and not having to build a giant CDN for that. We've seen customers basically coming to us and building a business case just on not buying additional CDN capacity, right? That's how efficient multicast ABR is. And, and you're right. It's not a new concept, right? It's been around. Um, I think it started back in 2014. 14, if I recall correctly, and you're right, it was Comcast and Cable Labs back in the day that were pushing for those uh, standardization with SCT, I think it was Cable Labs that became SCT uh, standard. But this was never really implemented following this um, this standard, right? What happened is in parallel, Broadpeak started experimenting with multicast ABR probably I don't know, nine years ago, something like that. Um, so there were parallel activities. And, and what we've done with Broadpeak is we try to standardize multicast ABR, but in a way that is easier to deploy than what Cable Labs did, right? So we have different transport protocol and we've been working basically with DVB. There's a DVB MABR standard now, and we've been very active in the technical uh, conversations at DVB to try and standardize something that is a lot easier to deploy than, than what Comcast basically built for a cable network network at the time, right? So there is some maturity that is coming from, from the likes of, of DVB. And I think, um, you know, like you said, you know, it's a very interesting tool when it comes to, to the experience, because you know, your network is more deterministic with multicast, you will be able to push higher bit rates, you will be able to be more aggressive on your buffers. We talked about the buffers a little bit before, how Netflix build a big buffer. Well, guess what, when you do live, you don't have this luxury, because if you introduce a buffer, you introduce latency, and no one wants <laughs> high latency on the stream. So with live, 
you have to deliver pretty much in real time. And if your network sometimes works well and sometimes doesn't, that's when you run into, you know, rebuffering problem and you have a bad quality. So yeah, multicast for that is a fantastic tool. You know your content will get there, you know, multicast has priority over unicast. So um, so yeah, so you won't have those problems in the network, the bottlenecks that you can have when everybody wants to watch the same content. And, and we very much believe that this is an asset that uh, operators have today that is very unique, right? To have multicast, you have to have a network, right? So even if you are a global CDN with caches all over the place, you don't have this this capability today of leveraging multicast. So yeah, in this battle for OTTs and how do I enable it, I think the, the operators have a very interesting card here, which is the multicast card. How, how can I use this to help scale some of my OTT partners and deliver a better experience to my end users? I think that's really fascinating, you know, the fact that those network operators, the fixed line and the mobile, uh, everybody thought, you know, they turned into dumb pipes. All they have to do is deliver data and, and sell you data packages. Um, and then suddenly, you know, when all of the uh, TV and, and video broadcast is now happening on the Internet, then suddenly everybody's looking at them and say, hey, can you help us? Please help us because we can't deliver all of this content to the end users, you know, in, in a completely transparent way. In a pure OTT fashion. Yeah, it's not possible. Yeah, 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 Exactly. It's not pure OTT anymore. And we don't want you to be a dumb pipe. Can you be a smart pipe for us? Can you provide us quality of service? And that changes the game, you know, uh, again. And I think it's it's really a fascinating uh, trend that we're seeing now. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about it uh, uh, in the future. So, um, Xavier, I'd like to thank you for coming on the Video Insiders today and exposing us to this innovative uh, trend in the relationship between the OTT providers and the network providers. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. You know, it's, um, you know, that's what I do, uh, you know, on a regular basis, you know, helping customers understand, you know, what's at stake in the industry and where we're going. So, uh, you know, it's really nice to be here with you and exchanging some of those ideas, see what you guys think of, you know, where the industry is going as well, because it keeps changing. That's a nice thing with video as well. It never stay still. And um, we've seen a lot of changes and I think there's a lot more to come. Awesome. So uh, thank you again. And um, to all of our listeners, what are we going to wish them today, Mark? Happy encoding and happy streaming. And happy caching. <laughs> happy caching. Happy caching, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.